This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. In 1534, a young layman came to the city of Rome. At that time, Rome was very corrupt. There was inside and outside the church. The politics of the day were horrible. There was not good church leadership. Rome had come through some really hard times. Her population was a fraction of what it had been. It was a sorry state of affairs. And the young man who came to Rome led by the Holy Spirit, a layman, was Philip Neri. Philip was born in 1515, and as a young man, he had apprenticed with a relative who had a very good business and no heir, so he mastered the business and was offered it to take it over and have a well-to-do life with this business. But Philip felt the call of the Holy Spirit, specifically sending him to Rome. It wasn't like he felt the call to the priesthood or he, or something specific like that. He just knew he was supposed to go to Rome. And so to Rome, he went. And in Rome, he found a family that needed their two young sons tutored. So he made arrangements to tutor these boys in exchange for room and board. It still left him with a lot of time on his own. And he did spend this time visiting daily the seven pilgrim churches of Rome. He spent a lot of time with the sick and helping the poor and much time in the catacombs. He slept in the catacombs a lot and he grew in holiness. Still, there was at this point no call to the priesthood for him or not one that he discerned, but his spirituality was growing and people were taking notice of him. When Philip was about 29, he was in the catacombs again and he was praying intently to prepare for Pentecost. And he had a Pentecost of his own. It's described that while he was earnestly asking the Holy Spirit for his gifts, which St. Paul tells us we are supposed to ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for all of them, be happy with what's given. But when it comes to things in the spiritual life, we should want everything the Lord would give us, everything that he would. And he was asking. And there appeared like a globe of fire. This globe of fire entered his mouth and went into his chest. In his breast, he felt this fire of God's love in a way he'd never had before. It was ecstatic and painful, and he actually fainted from it. But it was a fire of love in him. From that time on, he was always overheated. 
he was just overheated because of this this fire in his heart. We'll digress to the end of his life. They did an autopsy, and after he died, he was 80 when he finally died, and and they they looked at his heart and his ribs, and two of the ribs were broken and protruding and spread apart to make room for his heart, which had been enlarged. But he was always overheated with this flame that entered him and never left him. It was a great gift to him, but also a painful one, painful and good all at the same time. Philip continued to work in Rome, serving the poor, teaching, catechizing. He had gone to school, he got some classes under his belt, and he was starting to be known as the Apostle of Rome. And he was so very cheerful and full of love that it attracted people to him. There were men who were attracted to his personality and his way of life. And so he gathered them into a group, a confraternity. There were, at this point, 15, and they were devout. They wanted sincerely to grow in holiness, that he would guide them and teach them. And so they met regularly for instruction, for spiritual exercises, and just to grow in holiness. The, this group of men also did good works, you know, serving the poor, going to the hospitals, and it became kind of famous so that even people who were very well off, the, the upper echelons of Rome, would come and participate in some of the works of mercy and some of the prayers and things. It was just catching fire in Rome. It's interesting because Rome was in a very sad state of affairs. And you think about it, we are in a sad state of affairs and we are seeing the crumbling of Western civilization. We're seeing that. And what is the antidote? What is the response? Well, we can look at Philip Neri and see what his response was because it was fruitful and it was effective. But by this point in time, he was advised by a priest to become a priest. He was obedient and he was ordained a priest. And so now with the power of the priesthood behind him and this, these men who were following him and the effects that they were having in Rome, they implemented specific things that did change Rome and convert souls and have a ripple effect throughout the whole city. So of course, one of them was uh, Christian fellowship in small groups. He had started that with, with the men who had first wanted to follow him so that they could practice prayer, spiritual exercises, instruction, fortify each other, and develop a real Christian friendship to withstand the negative temptations and influences that were in Rome at the time. Another thing that he did was there was a special emphasis on young people. He realized that especially the young men needed a place to belong, a place to put that energy that they had, that youthful energy that can get diverted into the wrong direction if, you know, when, when they're young. And he used to say, he'd, he'd keep them busy. Like, young people need to keep busy all the time. He said that idleness was something to be avoided at all costs, especially for young people. And he said he, would, he wouldn't tolerate any idleness and that to keep them busy, they could chop wood even. He said, they can chop wood on my back if it will keep them from idleness. Philip also put a big emphasis on confession and spiritual direction. 
it's so important. They kind of go together a little bit, you know, because when we go to confession, often, always, if there's a long line and they're running through people and you got to be quick, the Lord will forgive us and we get in and out. But, but often the lines aren't long and we can spend a few minutes and the priest will give us some spiritual direction based on where we fell so that we can improve. And this humble openness to being shaped and formed so that you can grow in holiness. This is something that pleases the Lord very much. And St. Faustina, one time when she was in the confessional, everything kind of fell away and she actually saw Jesus. And he made it known to her that, you know, the priest is the priest and he may not operate perfectly, but it is Jesus who is there hearing the confession and it is Jesus who forgives the sins so important to get spiritual guidance. And in this day and age, even much of it can come through the saints. Truly much of it can come through the saints. Like St. Francis de Sales, Introduction to the Devout Life. A person truly could read that from beginning to end. And when you got to the end, start over. That would be an amazing thing for spiritual direction. Surrender to Divine Providence. It's another one. You could, it's a tiny little book. You could go from beginning to end and then just start over. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. Those are just a couple. There, there's some really good, good spiritual works out there and modern ones too that are vetted and by great spiritual leaders in our church that draw on our whole history of Catholicism to guide us by the mistakes of others and the, and the successes of others. He also wanted to build up the liturgical culture. When a culture dies, like Western civilization, or when, when things are in ruins, what preserves all that is good, beautiful? What brings culture back, a Christian culture where people thrive? and families are healthy, what brings that all back is not just Christianity in general, although it is Christianity, but specifically the liturgy. It comes out of the liturgy, of that offering of, uh, specifically, most importantly, the Mass, of that offering of the Mass, of Jesus reconciling humanity to the Father. It is the only way that culture comes back. And so, like in our day and time, people want spiritual things. They're going going all in for, for things that are tried and true and old. They don't want a quick fix, I want to feel good kind of thing. They want, they want Latin chant. They want to really get in touch with, with the fathers and the mothers of the church and go deep. Philip knew this too. And so there was a special emphasis for him on liturgical culture, special attention to those things that are lasting, that are ours as Catholics, like sacred music and art and those beautiful things that we can identify with that connect us all the way back through history and, and now into the future. So he really had something right and it's something that we can learn from him about that, especially to our day and time. Here's a quote from him. The true way to advance in holy virtues is to persevere in holy cheerfulness. And he was very humble. He didn't take himself too seriously. He, he did practical jokes and he played them on himself just so he would look like a buffoon because he got kind of famous and he didn't want people to take him too seriously. So he would do things like, like shave half of his beard off and go around Rome like that for a while. He just was kind of fun that way. He didn't have a rigorous 
set of rules, more regimented, say like St. Ignatius, which there's a need for all of it. His was humility and simplicity. Now, maybe he practiced some pretty aesthetical things, you know, long hours of work, long hours of prayer, sleeping in the catacombs, fasting, all these kinds of things. He didn't expect that of others. He was very lenient with others, you know, like a father, giving them just what they needed so that they could grow in holiness without making it too hard. But maybe because he had this fire of love in his chest and he had God that he could do more. And there weren't rules. If you wanted to join his group, there, there weren't a bunch of rules. It was just simplicity, love, humility, and he was a very humble man. Philip loved everybody, and he would treat the poorest beggar outcast with the same dignity as he would treat somebody who was in high in government or a high church official. And he was cheerful and kind and good. He converted a lot of people through this way of being. Every year, Pentecost comes, but we don't have to wait for Pentecost to come to pray for those gifts. We should be praying for them and asking for them. And St. Paul encourages us. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, and he goes to the whole gift thing. There's a big, the whole chapter is about that. But here in, in verse 31, he ends this one, one thing by saying, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. So it's okay. In this way, we don't, we, we want to be, asking and then be content with whatever is given but we are to strive for the greatest gifts and then of course he goes on and he says but i shall show you a still more excellent way and of course that is the way of love which was the way of philip neary he loved everybody and they knew they were loved when they were in his presence so let's let's ask him to help us with our lives so that we can infect our culture our sphere of influence God sent him to Rome, a whole city, but God put you in your family. He put you in your place where you work. He put you on the bus stop. He put you in your, in your child's school, he, in your neighborhood. Where you are is where he put you, just like he, just like he sent Philip Neri to Rome. You are where you are for a reason. And there are souls to save, and there's a mission, the greatest mission of the church, the mission of the church is to uh, evangelize the world for Jesus, to save all, go and make disciples of all nations. It's all about salvation. And you are where you are for a reason. Ask Philip Neary to help you. It's been a real pleasure to share a little bit about St. Philip Neary with you. And it's such a little bit. I encourage you to read about him, get his biography. You'll be amazed. It'll encourage you. Pray with me. Jesus, Mary, Joseph. We love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Durko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com 
or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.